All right, hello everyone, and welcome back to another edition of The Less Stressed Life, where we teach exhausted and burnt out adults the truth about adrenal fatigue so that we can get their health back quickly. And today we are joined with a patient and a team member, Kristen Angona, and we're going to do a little bit different today. Kristen is going to ask me a couple questions about, about how I got into this or what, some of the things that we do to help people. But then we're going to go through a timeline, a history of some of her experiences with her health challenges and raise awareness for people that may not identify that stress and overwhelm and the impact that has on your stress response system can manifest in different ways. So Kristen, thanks so much for being here today. Me. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So why don't we do this? Ladies first, you, you said you wanted to ask me a couple questions. So why don't you go ahead and, and, and ask me some questions and then we'll transition into getting to know a little bit about your journey. Yeah. So um, one of the reasons I wanted to do this video too, was because I wanted to be able to show my friends and family like about you and how you've helped me and everything. So do you mind kind of briefly explaining how you got into this practice and how you stumbled across your breakthrough? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was an anxious kid and I probably didn't have the best diet in terms of sugary foods. And I didn't realize that I had anxiety. I mean, it was a, it was a thing where I would get nervous before a competition or in class being called upon or even just having to read out loud. And then when I went through um, chiropractic college, I had gone through that because I hurt my back. And when I graduated and was ready to practice and had over $250,000 worth of student loans and my wife was pregnant with twins, I was exhausted and burnt out and anxious and had brain fog, couldn't focus. And I heard about this thing called adrenal fatigue, which Chris and I never heard of before. And I thought, well, I, I was pretty educated. I had a, a, a psychology degree, an exercise physiology degree, and I had just graduated from chiropractic college. And I never heard of this thing called adrenal fatigue. And it, it was kind of like the epiphany, like, oh my gosh, like this is me to a T. Like, you know, when someone describes you to a T that you could probably describe not as good as that was, it really captivates you and like, okay, I want to hear what this has to say. And then I went down that rabbit hole of doctors don't accept it as a legitimate diagnosis. A lot of the times your blood tests come back normal. There, uh, there's so many different presentations, like you could be lacking energy, crashing in the middle of the day, you're energized in the night and not in the morning, you can't focus, you can't concentrate. It impacts your motivation and drive and brain fog. So there's so many things that, that it impacts. And I was just sort of overwhelmed with, oh my gosh, if I don't know about this and I've studied a lot of stuff in health, then, and this is more of a, an, a, a stress related thing. Like we're more stressed than ever. And we have so many demands and to-do lists than ever, then this is really an epidemic that needs to be explained and told the truth about. So that's kind of how it all started for me. And, um, and now it's, we help people like yourself where they may not have identified it as being a stress-related thing, but when we tile the truth about adrenal fatigue, it goes so much deeper than just the adrenals, right? So as you know. 
No, that, that's really interesting. Actually, it reminds me a couple years ago, I had heard of adrenal fatigue and I sent it to a friend of mine and I was like, look, I feel like I have some of these things on this. But then I saw it say like, no, that's not really a real thing. And this and that, it, or, you know, you only have one of the things and not all of them. So like, had I known or continued researching like you, then maybe I could have avoided my major crash of a situation <laughs> that I had. Right, right. Well, you know, I look at it as you have these things that you, in, obstacles in life for a reason, right? So had you not crashed, perhaps you wouldn't have been where you are now, right? right? So at the yeah. same time, yeah, yeah. Well, that's cool. So could you maybe share you know, a couple of stories, you know, maybe one person that you really helped and then we can get into how you've helped me. Yeah, for sure. So one of our best success stories was from a client that we worked with in Australia. And I even remember having the initial call with her and it, it was amazing how she had suffered for so long. She'd been to like really high tech PhDs and the best of the best of traditional doctors and not to say they don't know what they're talking about because they certainly do but if she's still suffering after all the strategies then something's being missed so i i remember she just told me she had been really training quite hard uh, with triathlons and she was going up a mountain on her bike and then all of a sudden it's just like the the, in the matrix, the plug got unplugged and the, you know, the, the person just kind of died from there. And that's what she said. And after that, like, she just was like out of her body. She had the dysautonomia or just the, she wasn't in touch with her body and she couldn't go in cars and go about roundabouts and she couldn't stabilize her blood glucose. So we basically, had her understand the importance of what's called metabolic flexibility, where we should be able to burn protein, carbs, and fats as a fuel. We've been engineered for that. We've never had 24-hour online deliveries and refrigerators and abundance and light bulbs and everything else in between. And so we're not engineered in our modern day society, along with stress and overtraining and genetic susceptibilities and chemical toxins and news and everything else to be able to become metabolically flexible. We lose the ability. So one of the biggest things we did was have her stabilize her glucose, reduce inflammation. She started to realize when she was hungry versus having to eat because you've been conditioned. You have a breakfast, you have a lunch, you have a dinner, right? Yeah. Like you. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and it was profound. I mean, she lost a lot of weight and that wasn't even one of the goals that we were looking to do. And I think once you get the body working effectively, metabolically, the side effect, as opposed to drugs where you leave the room on a commercial and you come back and they're still finishing all the side effects, you know, to not, you know, be, if this, that, and the other, the side effect of getting healthy is metabolic health and losing weight. So a couple of the other strategies, obviously, is you need to do a proper uh, hormone test to figure out how hormones are clearing out and where to focus on to, to strategically not just throw crap at the wall and see what sticks. And, and that was quite profound. She, she had such amazing experiences and got her life back. And it, it wasn't anything magical. It was just more of a accepting that it's a, 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 it's a legitimate health challenge. There's different continuums of it. 
and that it's not just the HPA axis, the brain signaling to your adrenals that something's wrong with you. It's also the fact that your body's just not using energy and making energy effectively. And some embers in the fires aren't being extinguished in her body metabolically and the body will take care of the rest. So that's, that was one of the best, I'd say, experiences we've had with, with turning someone's life around, you know, it's been quite amazing. No, that's really cool. Well, I can tell you my life turned around <laughs> completely, um, especially because tomorrow is one year from when I went to the ER with this situation in the first place. And I had never been to the ER before at all. So, you know, it took a lot or like I had to be feeling like really bad to actually have to go there <laughs> during the middle right. of the pandemic alone. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I have it on my notes here that our first encounter was on 10-1-2020. Yeah. So, yeah, so we had a little bit of time, but I'm looking at my, at the notes and you actually had the diagnosis, I believe in six, in six, in June of 20, is that correct? Or before that, or? No. So June was when I first, I had one, the first time I ever saw blood in my stool. So it was in June. Um, and then it was kind of on and off, like where I was still living my normal life, feeling normal. Um, it would come and go. And, you know, people would just say, oh, it's stress or, oh, it must be a hemorrhoid or something like, oh, that happens. Don't worry. And then I was like, no, something doesn't feel right. Something doesn't feel right. And then September, it just, it, you know, my cup overflowed and it was not, it just everything. That's all it was. And it was, it almost felt like a virus like took over and I just couldn't stop going with right. blood. Yeah, and that's got to be super. I don't even know if what the good word is is alarming, right? I mean, to not feel I felt well, like but no control of my body at all. Like it was just not me anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, you know, it's it's this is not funny, but I remember I was playing soccer one time, and I went to slide to get the ball from the go the net and one of the metal pins wasn't all the way down and I slid into the and my knee like totally opened up. The reason I bring that up is because it wasn't really as painful. It was, but it was way more painful as soon as I saw it. Like, oh yeah. my God, like yeah. I was gonna faint. And I would imagine like it's enough when you don't feel great as it is, but to have a visual clue of blood, I mean then yeah. we're talking out loud like yeah. you know, blood <laughs> in the stool. It's like, oh my God, like that, like, am I, is, am I going to die? Like, is there something yeah. going on in yeah. my body? Like that's it's yeah. So, so, okay. So, yeah. So what was it then that made it for you? Like, I mean, you had never gone to the hospital. You knew something was seriously wrong. What was it about you that said, okay, I'm not going to go the traditional approach. Well, I did go to two different gastroenterologists and um they just kept saying like you know I did different stool tests to see if it was a parasite or a bacteria um everything came back negative the ER also did the test too but before I even get to the ER um I did I, I saw two different gastroenterologists they they just said like oh we need to have you do a colonoscopy but based, based on your blood work and the stool test that came back it looks like it's ulcerative colitis like based on whatever they came to, but they said, we can't actually, um, give you medication until we do a colonoscopy. And of course I had a lot of family members, you know, support me in my decision not to get a colonoscopy. And then I had a lot of them that actually were very critical saying that, like, how could you not, not do that? But I just knew deep down in my gut that <laughs> luckily my 
intuition was still somewhat functioning, um, that that was not a good idea. And I just, they, they gave me um, mesalamine, which is just an anti-inflammatory, it's not a steroid. They said they could start with that, but that ultimately I might have to go on prednisone or something to stop it. And it just one day, like it dawned on me and I was thinking, why, if there's inflammation, like, you know, like when you have a fever, your body heats up, it gets inflamed so that it fights off whatever this is. So like, why? Oh, and as soon as the gastro found out that ulcerative colitis runs in my family, they just kind of like, were like, oh yeah, that's it. That they took instantly. And, um, I was like, well, no, there's something there. My body's inflamed for a reason. And if I suppress the inflammation with these anti-inflammatories, then I just feel like it's going to pop up somewhere else. And it was popping up other places. I was starting to get the visual ocular migraines where I would see little flashes of light like multiple times a day. So I was terrified to drive. And then I started probably because I, they, they told me to stop eating all fiber. Um, so I was literally just eating like rice and bone broth because oh, they said like, stop the gluten and everything, which I've eaten pasta like all my life. So now I'm just eating rice and bone broth and like bananas basically. So I was getting very dizzy. Like I'd never fainted before in my life. And there was five times from September to October that I got so dizzy, I just like fell to the floor. But I think my adrenaline kicked in enough for me to not actually faint, but I think most people probably would have. Um, but everything was spinning. So I was like, something's going on here. I'm not gonna continue being on this same, like they just wanna make me sicker is how felt um especially when in the er they didn't do anything to help me but get an iv bag and i had someone come to the house to give me an iv bag and that helped way more than everything that the er did besides you know they did the ct scan which showed me there was no blockage so that was good but i also had done enough research that i saw even if there is a blockage your body can heal that if you give it the tools to do so um just like I saw, I, I watched a video that if back in the day, if you swallowed a thorn, your stomach would move fat over your intestines to heal that spot. So I was like, there has to be a way to heal naturally. I don't need all this intervention. Um, and I just knew that if I went on medication, it would just cover it up and not fix the problem. So then I right. started searching, found you, and here we are. Here we are. Yeah, I mean, you point to a couple of, uh, of important points. I definitely feel that the traditional approach needs to be done from the beginning. I agree, like, you know, going there and making sure that your red flags are crossed off the list, right? If there's any immediate, I guess, lack of a better description, bleeding neck, problems that need to be taken care of right away. But then when there's just diagnosis of exclusion, well, it's not this, it's not this, it must be that. And the management approach is an acute based approach for a chronic based problem. And I think that's really where you're seeing some major trends in the way healthcare is headed is, is that there should be the medical book point 2.0, where it goes into chronic environmental challenges that aren't approached the same way the the acute based stuff is approached so you know and kudos to you for going outside of that and not waiting for how long it takes for the boat in the ocean to change its course right yeah. because at the end of the day you're you're young and you want to enjoy your life so so the other things i saw here too is that um you you ultimately so you found me 
Uh, the only thing I was going to add was that you had stopped. I looked at our notes and you had stopped the kombucha um, oh, yeah. and you hadn't been. Yeah, you had it. I mean, I guess by choice, you didn't eat red meat or pork since you were 14 years old. Correct. Yeah. 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 I just didn't really ever like um, steak or pork, but um, I mean, I love animals and all, but I knew I still need some nutrition. So I, I right. with, like chicken and, and shellfish really. Um, but yeah, the kombucha, um, that was something that I had been drinking, you know, dilute, I would dilute it a bit. Um, I was drinking it on and off since like, I don't know, March or May, one of those months last year. And then, um, I think it was just amplifying whatever was already wrong in my intestines. And then, um, after the two nights before I got really sick, I drank like an undiluted, I don't know, glass of the kombucha and I started pinpointing it. And then you're the one that taught me it's very high in histamines. So that was probably contributing to it. Plus it could have been a bad batch. I don't know. Right. Well, well, I think, I mean, I brought that up because one of the ahas that I had in, in studying all of this is that the environment really triggers our mast cells. Mast cells stimulate your HPA axis, which impacts the adrenals, but mast cells make histamine. And if there was, we'll get into what we looked at, because I was quite surprised to find out that gluten in and of itself wasn't the main thing for you. I mean, it was a concern. It's always a concern in terms of it can produce more histamine. It can cause your immune system to go haywire. And it can also cause because of glyphosate and Roundup and pesticides and sprays. But as far as like smoking gun, when we did the genetic testing, we didn't um, see that as being a, a major challenge, which is good. But nonetheless, the histamine was already overflowing mm-hmm. and the kombucha was was causing that to do that. So one of the very first things we did was the GI map test. And I, I knew you were very diligent with your um, hence the team member you with your graphs and like, you know, <laughs> having like your one, two, you know, all the things going on. But do you remember, Kristen, what the one of the main findings was on the first page when we had your, yeah, your first um, C. diff, which, oh, I guess I should backtrack a little bit that I, the ER and then prescribed me antibiotics, you know, to take. So I took the Cipro flagell and something with an M. Um, I don't remember what it was, but um, yeah, I, I took that. And so when I saw that C. diff on the stool test that I did with you, I was instantly like, oh, that must have been because of the antibiotics. And then now looking back at that, that was really a naive thought because that means I had to have already had the C. diff inside of my body for the antibiotics to let it get out of control. Um, So yeah, that was really eye opening as well. It was, it was, I mean, listen, I, you know, we say like positive is positive, or pregnant or not pregnant, mm-hmm. but if it were pregnant, it would be like 10 months pregnant with the, how high levels it yeah. was, because it yeah. was like to the exponent seven and we want to see it below the exponent three. And so, so that's quite high. Um, the, the two things I would say is, is that unfortunately, whether it's, I think it's LabCorp or Quest, they just do not inundate themselves with PCR testing, which means they're not looking at the DNA sample. And it's like, that's the equivalent of saying, okay, the, the, the police department in Podoke, whatever, Iowa or whatever, decides that they don't want to run the crime scenes for DNA. 
they they think that that technology is too advanced to try to convict the murderer or the or the crime scene with you know why would we do that i mean that's what the analogy is is like you know well you came back falsely negative with your test that you did over here but now you're quite positive over here and then there were a couple other markers on the on the on the second page if you remember or the last page i mean there was some dysbiosis as well but yeah do you remember like what were some of the findings that you saw on the last page with your immune system that they had on there oh yeah my immune system was like in super overdrive and then right the blood occult level was very high um i can't yeah yeah no exactly it i mean you're bad yeah no you're well yeah you had uh, i believe you had some strep and some bacillus a little bit of candida and when we say when we see multiple species i think it's important for the listener to know they say well i have SIBO, like small intestinal bacterial overgrowth first and foremost when you do a stool sample it's a it's a, a culture of the lower intestine so you can't really say it's the small intestine it's the lower intestine but what tends to be in the lower intestine could migrate to the small intestine and at the end of the day, it's kind of selfish to say it's SIBO because SIBO implies that it's only bacteria. I think SIMO is a better word because it means small intestinal microbial overgrowth, other things. So there was some candida that wasn't positive, but wasn't negative. Um, then there was some other concerns with other bacterias. And then your secretory IgA, like you said, was super high. Um, and your calprotectin was super high and occult blood was there. So to me, that's an explanation of something's new here, like very new here, right? So so what did we basically do from there to address that, like f- f- from, your, from your point of view? Um, well, you gave, you helped me figure out to take um, the GI synergy, which I call it the natural antibiotics because I saw it had like, right. oregano in it. Um, right. That um, the repair bite to help repair the gut. So I just remember it was like the five R's. I don't remember what they all are, but like remove, replace, re-inoculate. I don't remember the rest. Like of there, them. restore, restore secretions, and, and then I think um, remove. Right. Okay. So um, basically, just rebuilding my whole gut lining, like remove the bad and replace and heal it and replace it with with good. So right. I remember that being a very long process, but um, I knew that it's what had to be done to, you know, heal long term for that. So, right. Um, yeah. So, so then I know we did a, um, well, we did a couple things because I know that um, the, the natural antibiotics, I think it's a great term and it doesn't <laughs> just have to be GI synergy. There's other you know, some people that are overstimulated with their mast cells, they can't tolerate a, t- a tonic like that because there's too many things. So I think it spoke to your constitution in that you didn't like, given that the acute nature of this, it wasn't building and the, your age, it's not building up for decades, right? Where a lot of the times people's immune system, that secretory IgA is very, very low, even though they have like something that's there in like the border patrol, you know, your yeah, border patrol yeah. was all, all hands on deck, you know, yeah, we got some, yeah. so, so, but then we ended up, I know, and we talked about this the other day where you, we were having you kill Monday through Friday and, and follow it up with some charcoal or binders so that that could help remove the toxins as well. Give your liver a little extra support. 
And then we were also talking about giving it some nutrients for repairing on the weekends. And I still like remember, hey, like when we had our follow up, can I do the repair on the on the weekdays as well? And for sure, I think that kind of soothed. Was it was it tough process going through all of it? Like you said, it was a long process. Was it was it hard for you to do? Did it impact um, I you? Think to- it was it was a little hard because I didn't see results right away, but I knew deep down that like, you know, when you're killing bad things, they will produce like some die off. So it can get a little bit worse before it gets better. So I knew that, but my anxiety didn't agree with that always. And so it would still panic me. Um, but I just remember thinking like, I, I felt like the repair on the weekends wasn't enough. And that if I could take it at night when I wasn't eating, maybe give it a chance to help repair overnight while I was sleeping. So I remember I, I emailed you and you were like, yeah, yeah, we could, we could try that. <laughs> so, right. Right. Um, yeah. So I, that with the repair bite. And then I remember one of the most eye-opening things was you saying that we needed to do the a DNA test for me to see, you know, what my genetic susceptibilities were. And I, Right. At first, I didn't know what that really meant because I was like, yeah, I know that this runs in my family, but th- at the same time, um, I don't think that this is something that was building for years. Although now looking back, like now that I feel so much better, there were so many signs that my cup was filling right. and it did just overflow. So it, um, so yeah, so the DNA test then became very helpful to see, um, about histamines and, um, I guess that's how, how your body uses, how it uses nutrients at the end of the day. Like, you know, like, so, so that's an important segue because when we did the follow-up GI map, um, we, we weren't, I think we weren't completely, the fire hadn't been completely extinguished. I think there was still smoldering and still some areas of the forest that were burning. Uh, I looked at the markers and they went down from 0.7 or exponent seven to exponent four which was encouraging. It needs to be the below exponent three, um, but you, your, your secretory IgA was lower. Your calprotectin was lower. Your occult blood was lower. The, it was more, let me ask you about this because I know this is concerning for people. There were some more markers though on your dysbiosis or the other bacterias that weren't there on the first go around. And even there was changes on the third test too. How did, I guess- first and foremost, were, were you seeing subjective, like how you feel and what the toilet showed you yeah. improvements versus if you didn't even see the results of the GI map test? Yeah. So actually I remember saying that to you as well, that I was feeling so much better. And then I saw the test and it almost instantly triggered me to like, feel like I was going to the bathroom more frequently again. Um, so so the first stool test we did was like October, I don't know, third or something. And then, um, I did, we, or the GI map. Um, and then the second one was in, um, February, I believe. And that one was the one that showed my blood of cult went from 64 to four. And so that was a really big improvement. And then the calprotectin went from 3000 to like one, I think exactly. Um, so I was like, okay, the inflammation's almost gone, but then seeing all the other bacteria and the C. diff still there, um, instantly made me feel like I had to, or that I was going to the bathroom more frequently again. So it got in my head and I became aware of that. Um, and then the third test I think was in May finally showed that the C. diff was completely gone. 
zero blood and no inflammation. So um, that was good. But I think I did panic again with the, I guess, some of the other. Your zonulant went really high. Yeah. Right? Which is a marker of the leaky gut, right? Yeah. Which then it kind of, I, I know you've explained to me, it's kind of like layers of an onion. So the first couple tests may have just shown, you know, one layer, but as we peel back the, I think you said biofilms, um, yes. it, expo- yes. it can expose more. So yeah, it's a good point. And you know what? Do you remember also to like taking a stroll down memory lane through the antimicrobial, well, all the microbes, but there was something that was really concerning on the first page that wasn't there for the first two. Do you know what that, do you remember oh, what that was? Par- a parasite. Yeah. Yeah. You had Giardia come in there. So you make a really good point. Like people need to understand that is, is that when the microbes coalesce and it's like, I make an analogy, like you have a party at your house. Your, your people from work, they hang out in the kitchen, your, your neighbors probably are in the backyard, and then maybe your family members and someone else, like someone like from your high school or whatever is in, in, the, in the family room, and they're all in their little bunches, but eventually they kind of, as the night goes on, they kind of get in and intermingle. That's what a, really a biofilm is, and, and really it's, it's like matrix in the body again where it's like, okay, how can we reinforce ourselves? And so they have a mucus-like sludgy biofilm, which is an oil term that oil creates these biofilms that, that adhere to the, to the pipes and stuff and make it much harder to get rid of it. And then on top of that, it reinforces itself with heavy metals and so forth and so on. So when you're doing a, a protocol to, to kill and lyse those, if it's not strong enough, it doesn't get everything. If you don't have potential chelators to help break that metals down, it doesn't work. But it can also then show you, hey, your test is maybe if you don't take it in perspective of how you're feeling so much better and you just you look at it objectively, you might think that the test is getting worse, right? You might get that a sense. So how did you, how, I would say, how did you lock it up? Like, how did you put, rein it in and say, okay, like, I know that the test is showing me some improvements because it went from so high to so low here, but this went high and, and that actually even physically caused me to feel, you know, an urgency. But at the same time, how did you balance that with, okay, like I'm trending in the right direction because a lot of people won't keep it together. Well, I, well, I, so, okay. So when I first started taking the natural antibiotics, like in October, and then you had me take, um, digestive enzymes and um also um the enzyme to remove histamines um the dao enzyme so that and then adding in fiber back into my diet like actually eating (laughs) real foods again so i think because i started um i so december was the last time that i got dizzy and the last time that i had flashes in my eyes so i think that kept it in perspective for me with the others like no I am improving like oh and I could uh, based on I was able to go longer without having to to eat um I was able to eat so many vegetables um and the blood too no I mean well yeah definitely so I I was still seeing blood in my stool through January but like 
December around Christmas time, it significantly cut down because around Christmas time was the first time that I felt good enough to go out to eat. Um, went to Louis Boss, the Italian restaurant, because they hand everything's like freshly made. So I felt comfortable enough to to go there. Um, so yeah, around Christmas time, I saw a significant reduction in, in blood, and it was more like formed stools, not so often. So I was real. So I just had to like reel it back in and think like, no, I've made huge improvements. And one of the things that I know now was a huge sign was that this was all leading up was that I was getting extremely bloated at night. Like, so if I ate dinner at like six or so at midnight, I would be like lying awake, like feeling I had to sit up because my stomach felt just so full. Um, I never associated that as I don't anything being wrong. Like people are just like, oh yeah, that happens. That happens. Like, um, and so just knowing that that wasn't happening anymore and I wasn't having those other symptoms and I wasn't getting shaky between eating. And, um, oh, the other thing that was happening too, after I ate when I was really sick was that my heart rate would feel like super strong. Like I could feel it everywhere. Um, and that doesn't happen anymore. So I'm like, I'm improving and I can't let the one, like my body now can start to heal on its own without, like I've given it the tools and I just had to reel it back in to know that I'm, I'm yeah, <laughs> for sure. Good points there. And, uh, but, but I do feel like it needs to be elaborated on where you saw that test and then you saw a felt an urgency and, and I guess we have to harness the, the energy that we control it, getting out of control with the, the balancing it with how good, that the other things are, was there anything conscientiously that you feel you learned from that? Like being able to just ramp down your response? Yeah. Like what was the, yeah. Mind over matter. Um, and right. that just really, um, I guess just keeping faith, like trusting my intuition, knowing that I've been on the right path. Don't look, and, and I think you pointed it out to me too. Like, look how obvious, like as soon as you saw the test, then this started happening. And so um, that's how much stress can really play a role on your or like take a toll on your healing and um, need to control the stress of it all. So. Yeah, well, your response for sure. And, you know, I remember that as you bring it up, I was like, like, like it's kind of conf as you mentioned to me, OK, they had me stop taking fiber when they thought I had UC and, and I had to go with very little food whatsoever. And I think maybe short term, I could see that because you you don't want to irritate the lining with any potential, uh, um, I guess, irritants, if you will, or allergens or triggers. But a couple of things is that needs to be followed up with, okay, and by the way, this is a short term recommendation because yeah, yeah. You know, we need to make sure your diversity is big. So I remember bringing diversity into your 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 mindset. Like, hey, you gotta you gotta bring some diversity here. Like, that's not enough foods there because that's how your microbiome is made. And you know, the other thing I I kind of let pass, which I think is you're very fortunate that it didn't happen. But when someone takes Cipro, that's a major crusher. I, I've I've had unfortunately like the our, our old mm -hmm. office manager who's wife is still very sick who took Cipro and you can go online and Google like Cipro toxicity or fluoroquinolone injuries because ultimately antibiotics kill bacteria and our mitochondria is bacteria. And ultimately you're dropping an atom bomb 
in the middle of a microbial storm and you're just hoping that okay good guys don't die just kill bad guys you know and it doesn't work out that way so you're really fortunate in that way um for sure the other i mean the other outlier which you just remind me of was you you know with your glucose and stabilizing that and not eating so much so tell tell us sort of what kind of routine now you've settled in on to kind of maintain the the balance now oh um so for me i was eating like i mean everyone at work like when i worked in person in retail they would always laugh at me like how frequently i'd be eating especially because i'm a small person so like why are you eating so frequently but i get shaky between i I would get shaky between meals so i always eat lunch like right at 12 um and then i'd have my snack at like three and then i would go home and eat my dinner at six like basically every three hours i was eating but now i can um i really i eat my breakfast like i don't have to eat as soon as i wake up which is great i do wake up starving but i don't feel like i'm gonna fall over if i don't eat whereas before it felt like I had to eat right away or I couldn't think or function. Now I can actually just, you know, start doing whatever, eat casually like an hour or two after I wake up. And then um, I can, so I'll probably eat, I don't know, somewhere around like nine-ish. And then um, I can eat my lunch now at like one or two, which is a huge, well, or just based on whatever I can get away from work to go cook it. Um, And so that's just a big difference um right there and then um sometimes i'll have like a little snack around like four but probably just because i'm like working and thinking um and then i can eat my dinner like at seven which is such a big difference for me um i would always i be the one to like eat before we went out to dinner because i didn't want to be starving and sitting there and now i feel like i have a little bit more leeway um it's more an anxiety thing for me now. Like I remember you saying to figure out my actual, my physical blood sugar versus my psychological blood sugar. Right, right, right. Um, Yes. So that was a big eye-opening thing for me too, but just like seeing how it was all connected, I wasn't crazy. And all those things were happening because something was going wrong. Um, So I think genetically you saw that I have trouble removing histamines and regulating my iron. So I think those yeah. were the two yeah. underlying. For sure. I mean, there's a couple other things here too, which we'll get into like as we yeah. as we talk about it. But you make a couple of really good points is the difference between physio- physical hunger and psychological hunger. And I, and some t- I, so many people tell me this is like, oh, if I don't eat, I'm going to I'm going to faint, you know, and I'm going to die. And I don't believe that. I mean, in your case, it was actually very low. I mean, there's <laughs> no doubt about that. Um, but for some people, their glucose isn't low, they're insulin resistant, and it's not getting into the cells. So I think it's important to calibrate that and understand that we do tools with that. But I guess the question is, is that now you would never have found me if, if I had only presented in my local business area, that we only help people that have adrenal fatigue problems. In our local area, we had a bunch of conditions like functional medicine, like we have GI issues and thyroid issues and hormone issues and um, brain fog issues and so forth. So, but now that you understand the role of stress in the body, especially when your mind can go play tricks on you and you can (laughs) physiologically have, you know, an urgency to go more and start to, oh my gosh, like things are getting worse again. And so what would you tell the listener 
that may have GI issues that were some real ahas for you to know that it goes deeper than the GI and it's kind of a chicken or the egg th thing in terms of it's kind of a two-way road. It's not even a two-way road. It's a five-way road with so many other things going on. What would you, what have you learned and what would you tell other people about that? Um, that this does, like, you're not just an unlucky person that your issue happens to. There's a reason for it and you have to find the root cause of the reason. And a lot, yes, while it can be genetic, like, yeah, maybe because I have an issue removing histamines or whatever, my intestines are more genetically susceptible or something to having the inflammation go there, whereas someone else, it might be, you know, arthritis or some, some, you know, thyroid or something, sure. but, um, you have to find out your genetic susceptibilities to see what you're actually, you know, to see what, what genes can get turned on to see, you know, now that I think about the histamine issue, that was the other thing, like when we determined that I had a histamine issue and that can create your gut lining to be permeable, I guess. Right. Is that right. Okay. Yeah. So, so because I genetically am susceptible to not removing histamines, my whole gut lining became permeable, which made me susceptible to the other issues. But also I didn't realize that I had a histamine issue because I'm, you know, yes, I, I would sneeze more often or whatever, but I didn't, I wasn't one of those people allergic to everything. So you would never think that you have too many histamines, but then also, um, uh, my face doesn't turn red as much anymore. That was another thing too, that I should have known or being able to be like really hot. Like I had zero like heat tolerance. I would have to go inside. So little things like that were all signs that there was something going wrong. So I would tell the listener to look at all those other signs and that, yes, while those are common, that doesn't mean that it's normal and you can find the root cause for it before it explodes into some sort of big digestive issue or other autoimmune. Yeah. Yeah. Those are great points. The first point I would say, which people get in this vicious cycle of never fixing it, Kristen, is they, they have this biosis, they do a gut cleanse, they repair their gut lining only to find out that they have leaky gut again and they have um, food sensitivities. So they remove foods and then they have lower healthy of diverse bacteria. And then they never get upstream enough to impact the histamine, which is causing leaky gut. So it's just, you were able to get upstream from that and see the, the, all of the connections there and, and, and address it. That, that would be the first thing. Um, the, the other thing too, is, is that from, from the genetic standpoint, you make a good point where some people, when they're oxidizing or when they're not able to make enough energy, it impacts their neurotransmitters. So they get more concerned or they get more anxious or panicky. And at the end of the day too, like when you're repopulating your healthy flora, your neurotransmitters are all produced in there as well. Right. So, you know, it's quite amazing that, um, you know, you were able to learn all of this too. So I guess the other thing that we always bring up too is, well, you know, it's expensive and um, my insurance should pay for this. And I'm only going to do the things that insurance pays for. I guess, what was it in your motivation that made you feel like, okay, like I, I can't go down that road or what was it in your line of thinking that like the um, cost benefit ratio was, it, you know, to well, do something different? <laughs> 
I mean, that's so easy for me. Like, I, I can't say that I had all the money up front to pay for it. I didn't, but I found a way, like I used some of my HSA. I put some on credit cards. I paid for some out of pocket. Sorry, my dog is walking by. Um, but I, in my mind, and I had a friend, um, my friend, Amanda, the nurse practitioner, she said to me, she's like, when you're sick, like stop worrying about money, like do what you have to do to get better. And I, I just, I thought about it and I was like, if I don't have my life, then I don't, what's the point of having money? So just spend what I have to feel better so that I can have my life again. Like, um, and, and I always tell people now, like if you could pay, I don't know, whatever amount it is, like, I mean, there's, to me, there's no limit not that I want to be ripped off or something, but I don't think that I was, but right, there's right. really no amount that I wouldn't have figured out a way, whether it, you know, if you have to sell your car or something, because what's the point of having a car if you can't drive it? Um, right. like if you're, my life was completely turned upside down. I couldn't, I mean, I work from home and I couldn't even work at home because I couldn't, you know, sit at the computer long enough without having to go to the bathroom or, you know, I was falling over. I couldn't go out to eat. I couldn't go, you know, do whatever the things that I like to do. So I'm like, if I can't do that, what's the point of having. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's amazing. Some people don't have those wake up calls. I mean, sadly, I had a call with someone the other day who has major brain issues. Like they can't speak properly. They don't have balance. The doctors are telling them that nothing's wrong. And I, I told the person like, look, I don't have a magic wand and I'm not going to guarantee you that we're going to fix this, but I feel like I'm your best option here. Like, like you're dying, like you're dying. Like what? And they didn't, they didn't take it, you know, the, the next step. And I, I guess if you look at it, like people are hardwired different and you, you know, I, I think like, okay, what's the purpose? Like if I can't work and earn an income, what's, what's the purpose of me having money when I die? It doesn't make sense. Right. Well, I, you know? I think of it like if you're, if, if some, you know, if someone's only way to get to work is their car and their car engine crowd or their car gets totaled or whatever, they're going to do whatever they can to find a way to get a new car so that they can get to work. So I was thinking in terms of, you know, like I needed to pay whatever I needed to, to get myself better because otherwise there's no point of having those things. Um, but also that I saw my ER, the two ER bills was more than what I paid to just be used. Right, like had I, right, I, that's mean, it, right. I do think I had to still go to the ER because that was like a, you know, learning opportunity for me to know that I was strong enough to go there on my own, overcome like, you know, a fear with that. But still, that was so expensive that had I maybe if someone told me like, Hey, all these symptoms that you're having are leading up to something bigger, you can see, you know, Dr. Joel and, you know, you avoid a $15,000 ER bill, then, you know, that would have been more enticing, but I didn't, I had to go this way to right. actually learn right. it. But, um, right. Well, there's lots of lessons there. I mean, at the end yeah. of the day, I mean, you know, like, I, I, and I, one of the things we teach is like, like things happen for our best purpose, right? Like when you look at blood in the stool, there's nothing good about that, but I think it's enough of a smelling salt. Like when you're knocked unconscious to say like, holy moly, like yeah. I got like, this is my life here. Like, this is not messing around here. Like, I'll just give you a quick little example. Like when I went to college in the States graduate program in chiropractic, it, 
like I said, I was in debt over $250,000. The Canadian dollar was 67 cents to the American dollar. Mm -hmm. And we didn't have money. We, we put like, we got loans and from the US government, you had to show like what your house was worth so that you had a net worth to be able to get a U, uh, student visa, blah, blah, blah. And I never forget my, I wouldn't, there's times too, Kristen, where I couldn't sleep. Like I didn't have the whole, the money like guaranteed for the whole mm -hmm. year. So when I came to the States, I knew I had to find new lending. And to be able to get, you know, more like that third trimester paid for, right? So I wasn't sleeping. I was stressed out. And the best man of my wedding, he says to me, like, what are you doing? Like, what happens if you don't like get the money? And I was like, well, I'm stressed for sure. But it was never an option to not get it. Like, that wasn't an option. I, I, I sailed across the ocean and I burnt the boat, the ships, you know, like yeah. Cortez. I didn't think about. Like, okay, if what happens if I need those boats to get back? It wasn't an option, right? And I think that's probably the difference between when we say people that get their health back um, are resourceful is there's no option. I mean, you were resourceful for that whole purpose. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. And I mean, I guess that's one thing throughout my whole life. Like when I set my mind to something, I will find a way. <laughs> um, right. Right. So I guess that trait carried over, but really I ask people now, like, you know, how much money, like if you had to pay a certain amount of money to be, to find the answers to know like what your individual body needs, like, why wouldn't you do that? And when people actually sit down and think about it, they're like, you're, you're right. Like, why wouldn't I, I do that? Cause it can help you like the DNA test alone. I feel like is so valuable because it can, it helps you learn about your specific body and what you need. I mean, you know, I've had like everyone in my family <laughs> do it now too. Right, um, right. Just because why wouldn't you want to know to set yourself up for long-term success? And so many of these people too in my family didn't realize that they're tired or whatever because of genetic susceptibilities or also histamine issues. Um, so yeah. Right. That's just my thought process. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think, I think, and it's not a commercial for us. I mean, I think the more important point is, is that if someone's listening to this and has a major health challenge on top of that, a major fear of not getting resourceful, that's not serving you. Like you've got to get over that bridge of fear and say, okay, like it's worth, I, it's worth it to me. I've been, I've, maybe you're, you haven't been high, high, hardwired. Like, I think that is a hardwired trait where if I'm going to find an option, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not, if I get thrown into the ocean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let myself drown. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have, don't have that until they're in the ocean and they have to swim. Right. And I, I think more so than anything, the, the, the important point of what we're saying is, is that if you're suffering with a cha health challenge and you are looking for answers, they're out there and, and don't let the excuse of there, it's not out there be the limiting factor versus getting resourceful and, and, and figuring out how to do it, whether it's with us or someone else, because there is help out there. I think that's the hope that we're providing to people. So, yeah, I mean, as far as any last words, <laughs> I always ask when I do these interviews with people, I always ask, hey, like, what would the wiser Kristen tell the younger, naive Kristen that she didn't know then that she knows now? But we're really only talking a year, right? So, but like, are there any like new words of wisdom you would tell yourself that you, you didn't have before? The first thing that comes to mind is like, you were right. Like I was right all along um to follow my intuition 
and don't get sucked down the rabbit hole of other people's opinions. And um, I mean, like I could have very easy, I could very easily just be on the, what antimazalamine, however it said, anti-inflammatory right now forever or steroids forever. Um, and, you know, that would impact my whole future, you know, and I just, I'm just glad that I listened to myself and didn't, I mean, cause even my family started to doubt me at one point, they're like, maybe you should just do the colonoscopy, you know, get, get it. And I was like, no, there's no, like, I know that I already know there's no blockages. So it, based on that, like I need to figure out what's the root cause of this and not just be put on steroids further. Cause I even asked the doctor like, okay, so if you do confirm it, it's this, what do you do? And they said, Oh, um, I think IV steroids and then like a, a regular steroid and then until the inflammation goes fully down and then the anti-inflammatory, you know, just people just take it forever. And I'm like, I don't want to do, do that. I wanted to find like, th why did this just happen? So. Yeah. Inquiring minds, you know, trust, tr trust your, literally your guts talking back to you, right? Yeah, Touch, trust it, trust it mentally. You're not and, crazy. You yeah. know, like it, you're feeling like this isn't, you're not just lucky that, like you have to live with this forever like you can right right that's a good that's a really good point and you know what it kind of re gets us back with our mission i think in terms of like when i had that epiphany like oh my god like if this is happening to me and i know a lot of stuff i felt and imagine all the people that don't know a lot of stuff that are disempowered and then just do what the doctor says to do, even if the doctor, I think, does have the best interest from what they know. And I don't think they're malicious. Like, I don't think they're like going out of their way to no, screw people. No. But but, you know, there's power in choice and, and you're not confined to have to like it's so frustrating to think like if you gave someone information and that information, if it were applied, you know, it would make a difference in terms of not just their quality of life their quantity of life, it, it almost makes you more connected to why we do what we do, because there's people out there that need to hear the information. So yeah, thank you. I mean, thanks for sharing everything, because it's not a humbling conversation, right? I mean, it's it's exposes the very nature of, you, you know, what's going on with you. So thank you for sharing, because I think anyone who listens to this will get, um, you know, it, empowered and and feel like, hey, and identify as well. And I know you mentioned about potentially like, you know, if anyone ever has any questions um, that you're open to answering them because you've always been that way as well. Yes. So um, does that, is that fair? Oh yeah, definitely. I want to help as many people as I can because I don't want anyone to have to go through what I did. I, there's so many Facebook groups of people with like Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, C. diff, all sorts of things. People just out there like I know they're just sitting on their couch not being able to move um, because they're too weak and they're not eating and everything. So um, I just want as many people to know as possible so. right well I, I hope that the lessons they get wasn't that you just invested in yourself and took that leap of faith but the other investigations like you trusted yourself that you weren't crazy that you weren't destined to have to just accept the diagnosis that you weren't going to stop short of any answers but the ones that you needed to hear to give you hope to put you know the next step forward are you I you know you've told me that's like you've you've trained yourself in other you know skill sets for 
holistic healthcare and practicing? And do you, is there any specific goals or aspirations you have now that you've crossed that sort of that chasm in terms of what you want to do at a, at a next level? Um, I mean, I would love to be able to help people you know, like help guide them to how they can get the answers. I mean, but in terms of like my actual trainings, I did um, my Reiki certification. And then, I mean, um, just coaching in general, like my leadership degree, but um, I, yeah, I just want to help like guide people to finding the answers that they need to help, help themselves. I just don't know how to do that yet. (laughs) Right. We're we're developing it. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's advocacy, right? I mean, that's what it is. I mean, you're, you're an advocate for the empowered or the unempowered to be empowered um, that they have choices and that you've been there and done it. Right. I mean, there's nothing better than saying like, Hey, look, I'm not just you know, talking the talk, right? I've walked the walk. I've done it. I, I've been where you have. So that's great. That's a great thing. So yeah, I'm excited to um, to see like what you st- I think, hey, and we said this a little bit before we started. I don't think that healing is ever fully fixed, right? I mean, in terms of it's an ongoing process, it's yeah. a verb, something that's always do. And I said, hey, we need to do a- another checkup just to see mm-hmm. like what smoke signals we see so that we don't see a burning building before it's burning, you know, like you always got to do that. So that's, that's still on the, on the docket per se. Yes, definitely. And I guess just one thing I'd like to tell people to go back to like when you were a kid where you'd always ask why, (laughs) why, 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 um, don't have to just accept, uh, yeah, like the diagnosis of this is what it is, like figure out why that happened, whether that's it removing, you know, internal things like, you know, like I clearly have the excess histamines, but also the external factors that created it, like EMFs. I, I'm extremely sensitive to. So yes, I, I we've never got on that. That's right. You're yeah. very sensitive. Yeah. Yeah, you've taught me ways to limit my EMF exposure, like shutting my my phone off. Um, I've switched to like I eat all organic food now. I've switched all my cooking ware to pure ceramic. <laughs> I've um, like. They, all of my cleaning products are non-toxic. So I'm trying to limit or control what I can control so that it makes my, my body has an easier job to do. Um, yeah, so. no, that's, that's great advice for sure. It, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's an awesome thing that, that you, and I, and again, you're right. Like there's no bad questions, right? Cause a lot of people don't want to speak up in front of the doctor because they don't want to you know, sometimes their bedside manner sucks and like, they just want you to get out of the office and don't like, don't bother them with a question. Don't let that deter you a and B you have a right to know why, you you know, like, why did this happen? Like just intuitively reflexively, like a knee jerk reaction, like someone put the hammer on your knee. It's like, okay, I have this, like, why? Like, Oh, because it's in the family, but, but why now? Like, you know, like, like, especially because, you know, at 30 years old, they say typically I would have been showing signs that like, you know, in my young, younger twenties. So for this to just hit on now, Oh, they also said ulcerative colitis is stress induced, but I mean, I was the least stressed that I had ever been because I work from home now. I'm not dealing with, you know, customers right in my face, but now I realize that hit me at the time where my body was it's least stressed because it knew that was the only time I would be able to like handle it too. So right, that's true. That's a good point. Yeah, for sure. 
That is, yeah, it's There's amazing so how much. that happens. No, that's it's just one last thing I would say is a lot of people will say that they're, they never get sick. Like they have a really strong immune system. I was that but, person. Yeah. R- right. But like, that just also means you're in wind up, right? So when you're able to turn off the defense system, so it's not completely overreacting to every little thing, then some people will reflexively get sick a little more. That's not what's called a Herxheimer reaction. That's just like rebalancing your immune system. So it's not in hyperdrive and, and don't necessarily another clinical pearl to this, not to this interview today is, is just because you never get sick and you have a really strong immune system, if you have low energy, if you have blood in your stool, if you have, you know, ocular migraines, if you have things that you know, like something's wrong with me here, especially as overt as blood in your stool, but I'm never sick, don't just discount it and say, oh, well, it mustn't be a thing. You know, it's definitely a thing. You know, you sometimes you need those warning signs earlier but thank goodness you had a major warning side to say okay enough Kristen you got to do something about this right yeah so awesome all right well great I appreciate the time and and the and the information and uh like I said I love hopefully we can like have a part two on like what the next level of health brings for Kristen and uh and things that learners people listening to this can learn from from your lessons that you've learned Thanks for tuning into today's show. If you like what you've heard and you're interested to see if you're a good fit to work with our Adrenal Awakening program, here's what to do next. Head to adrenalfatiguesociety.com forward slash apply and book an appointment to speak to our team. Here's how it works. We'll get on the phone for about 45 minutes and get you crystal clear on three things. Number one, where exactly do you want to be with your health and where are you now? Number two, What are the genetic components that haven't been discovered that are impacting your health? And number three, what are the environmental triggers that may be overlapping with these genetic components keeping you from getting optimal health? Remember, getting your energy back just won't happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make that happen. We've helped clients all over the world transform their lives, quadruple their energy, and fix their metabolism and make the world a better place. To see if you can do the same thing, head to adrenalfatiguesociety.com forward slash apply. I'm Dr. Richard Joel Rosen, and we'll talk to you soon.